Think of toddlers for a moment, how they tend to do things randomly. We had a toddler amongst us in recent times in my home, fostering a, a, a little girl, and uh, she was extremely random. Well, they all do it, don't they? She'd go into the kitchen, grab something, anything, whatever came to hand, come out of the kitchen, dump it somewhere, and leave it for someone else to clear up and put back. And it seemed to be like that all the time. And that's what toddlers do. And I'd watch her, see her do this, and think, you haven't given any thought to that whatsoever, have you? You've just done it. It's completely random. And... Um, blow me down I'm living this living this out again but not with a toddler with a puppy we've now got a puppy in our house he does exactly the same thing as that toddler used to do go in the kitchen grab anything a kitchen towel uh, a penny anything doesn't matter scuttle out of the kitchen and and um, dump it or play with it no thought goes into it at all and it's left for someone else to have a tug of war with him. My slippers, that's another thing. He keeps pinching my slippers. Maybe that is planned, I don't know. And then you put things back where they're supposed to go. But that's toddlers, that's puppies, and that's how they are. They seem to do things without giving it a thought. No planning whatsoever. Maybe your life is somewhat like that, even if you're not a toddler or a puppy. You nevertheless have that mentality. You just take each new day as it comes, see how it unfolds, and you do things, you, you, you see what happens, and you don't, most importantly, you don't commit it to God. If you're not a Christian, you won't think to commit each new day to God. You'll just see what happens. And even as a Christian, maybe you're not really committing each new day to the Lord. That's a good part of planning your day, isn't it? Committing it to God. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. So that's how we are, just like toddlers and like puppies. We don't really plan as much as we ought to. But you can be sure that things don't just happen randomly with God. And that includes the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That wasn't a random happening. As we shall see, everything was meticulously planned by God in the minutest detail. And the advent of Jesus was precisely in accordance with God's will. From every single moment to the next moment, everything happened according to God's will. I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 1, the passage that Les brought to us not long ago. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. We see in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 that Mary was espoused. I wonder how many people know that word. Maybe not too many of you. Espoused or betrothed. That's another word that you could use. To Joseph. In other words, 
What it means is she was solemnly promised to Joseph in marriage. And you'd be making a mistake if you thought that being espoused or betrothed to someone in marriage is the same thing as being engaged to someone as we know it in our day and age. It's not the same thing at all. It's much more. You can see that to be the case in the very next verse. Mary, who was... um, espoused or betrothed to Joseph, that's in verse 18, but then in verse 19 it says, then Joseph, her husband. So what do you make of that? She's espoused to him and he is her husband. That's clearly a lot more than just being engaged to him, isn't it? And it is. All that was left for them to do was to actually live together. They certainly weren't living together at the time, And when that did happen, that probably would be ushered in with a marriage feast of some sort, although it didn't need to be. But there would be no more vows to be made. They wouldn't have to go to the synagogue or the church or whatever and exchange vows, exchange wedding rings and and all the rest of it. They, She was espoused to him. They were as good as married. And he was her husband and she was his wife already although they just did not live together as yet. Joseph's world must have seemed as if it was falling apart when he discovered that his beloved Mary was pregnant. Surely she hadn't been with another man, had she? These are the thoughts that must have been going through his mind. It's quite reasonable, isn't it? It certainly seemed like that. As far as Joseph was concerned, he had two options open to him. According to verse 19, he could make Mary a public example. What that means is that he could publicly publicly accuse her of adultery, which as her husband, he was perfectly entitled to do. Or else he could take advantage of the lax divorce laws of the Jews and simply write her a divorce certificate without any further ado. Joseph was minded to take that option in order to avoid exposing Mary to public shame, and not just public shame, if the law that was given in the Old Testament was implemented, she could be stoned to death for adultery. That's not necessarily what would have happened though. I don't know if that would have been permitted under the Roman occupation at the time. But it was a serious matter to publicly expose someone and accuse them of committing adultery when they are married or espoused to someone else, betrothed to someone else. So he chose the softer option to, exp- to avoid that. However, according to verse 20, verse 20, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And you think, well, thank goodness for that. What might have happened if the angel didn't come down? Wow, that was a close one, wasn't it? 
If it wasn't for that angel coming down, Mary could have been accused publicly, perhaps even stoned to death, or else Joseph might have written a a divorce certificate and just got rid of her secretly, quietly, privately. But then the angel saved the day, didn't it? Is that how you see it? The angel said to him in that dream, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. No adultery there. It was the Holy Ghost. The angel saying, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, it certainly tells me that although Joseph had it in mind to divorce Mary, he really didn't want to do that. What was he fearing? The angel again said, fear not to take unto Mary thy wife. It it sounds like he wanted to marry her still, but he was fearful of doing that. And perhaps he was going to divorce her privately, write out that divorce certificate, because as it says in the verse, he was a just man. In other words, he was a godly, a righteous man. And adultery is or was and still is a terrible thing. And the way he saw it, that was the only thing he could do. He must have loved Mary dearly if he still wanted to be with her, even though, as he thought, she had been, she'd become pregnant by another man. And it must have been music to his ears to hear that angel of the Lord telling him that the, the, the baby that's conceived is by the Holy Spirit. The angel of the Lord must have put Joseph's mind at rest by assuring him that the baby inside of Mary's womb had been miraculously conceived. Things might have been very different had the angel of the Lord not appeared to Joseph in the dream and spoken to him. But as was said earlier, you can be sure that things don't just happen with God. It wasn't just the it wasn't just the angel of the Lord who happened to be coming by at the time and thought, well, I better sort this one mess out. God sent his angel to Joseph in a dream. And you can be sure that things happen precisely according to the will of God. Everything was meticulously planned by God in the minutest detail and nothing would frustrate God's plan. Nothing would frustrate it. Joseph publicly accusing his wife that was not going to happen. Joseph privately divorcing his wife that was not going to happen either. God had it all worked out. We can see a lot more about the meticulous planning of God in the Old Testament prophecies and apply that to the New Testament and it's wonderful to see how basically God works everything out in eternity in other words before the foundation of the earth before anything was created God had everything worked out and then we see what God had worked out in eternity we see that 
enshrined in Old Testament prophecy, recorded in the prophecies in the Old Testament. And then finally, we see all of that being worked out, fulfilled in the New Testament, in Jesus Christ. It's all worked out before God even said, let there be light. Everything was. And then we're greatly privileged if we, if only we open the pages of the Old Testament to see some of these eternal decrees captured in the Bible, recorded in the Bible in prophecy, and then to see it all fulfilled when Christ came into the world. And we, that's what we're going to have a look at now. We can see, for example, the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was a prophet who lived over 700 years before Jesus came into the world. It's a long time, isn't it? Over 700 years. However, this is what Isaiah wrote. How much of it he would have understood, that's anybody's guess. But as the mouthpiece of God, this is what he said. It's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I'll read it to you now. Therefore... The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I'll say that again. Bear in mind again, over 700 years before Jesus came into the world, the prophet Isaiah said, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Amazing. Absolutely. We ought to be amazed. I'm amazed. I've known that prophecy for as long as I've been a Christian, a good number of years now. I'm still amazed. But there are always people who are going to try and find fault. The objectors, those who are trying to remove God from everything. And there are those who will argue that those words of prophecy had nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. It was about someone else. Presumably those people who say that have an interest in trying to show that Jesus was born through adultery. That what Joseph thought at the time, well that really is what happened, adultery. Instead of being, instead of Jesus being conceived in Mary of God the Holy Ghost. They don't want to believe the truth. Maybe there's people in here now who do not want to believe the truth concerning Jesus. And they'd rather um, object to it and say something else and deny the truth. You'd have a job though, wouldn't you? Especially when Matthew chapter 1 that we're looking at this morning makes it perfectly clear that that prophecy was fulfilled when the Virgin Mary conceived and gave birth to baby Jesus. You can put the two things together. That word of prophecy in Isaiah, you can put it alongside the fulfillment that's for us here in, where was it now, in Matthew chapter 1 and... Verse 20, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not 
to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is born of the Holy Ghost. And verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And this is what I wanted to bring to you. It even quotes the prophecy of Isaiah in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call him, call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. You can't object. You cannot do it. The New Testament tells us so clearly in Matthew's Gospel, that that prophecy is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Can you see that things do not just happen with God? Mary did not become pregnant through some illicit relationship. Joseph did not just decide to keep Mary as his wife rather than publicly divorce her accuse her or or privately divorce her. These things didn't just happen that way. God's purposes were being fulfilled in the minutest detail concerning the conception of baby Jesus, his birth and when it should happen. For it is written elsewhere in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, in the fullness of time. In other words, in God's perfect time, he sent his son, born of a woman, born of the virgin, conceived of the Holy Ghost. All of that was worked out in eternity. And it, it doesn't, it, and God doesn't even spring it on us in the pages of the New Testament. He, it's given to us in prophecy in the Old Testament and sure enough we see the fulfilment many, many years later. What a wonderful God we have. Is he your God? What a tremendous God and what a lovely saviour. When it comes to the minutest details of the conception, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20, it is written, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. That's the message from the angel to Joseph. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Okay then, that that really does explain it, doesn't it? Does it? Is anyone the wiser? I'm not. More information is given about that in Luke chapter 1. Verse 35, where the angel said to Mary, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Okay. In other words, the conception of Jesus was a miracle of God. That much we can say. It was a miracle of God. Beyond our understanding. And that's hardly surprising that when you, when you think about it, after all, in that little baby lying in a manger was all the fullness of the Godhead. That 
little baby dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And that little baby was conceived in the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. We're told that, we're given that information, it is to be believed. We don't necessarily have to understand everything to believe it. It's not true to say that you need to have a perfect understanding of something in order to believe it. There's a lot of things I believe that I don't really understand. But this is given to us in the scriptures, in the Bible here, to be believed. And as it is written in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Even the Bible calls it a mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. There you have it again. It's a mystery. God being manifest in the flesh. Even though the virgin birth is a mystery and it is beyond our understanding, it is nevertheless declared to us in both the Old Testament. We saw that in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And it's declared to us in Matthew chapter 1 here as well. Chapter 1 and verse 21. So it is to be believed. Furthermore, the sacrificial death of Jesus and his subsequent resurrection from the dead about 33 years later, I I say about 33 years later, but you can be sure that whatever it was, it was at precisely the right time, God's time again. Not a moment before or after God's appointed time of Jesus being crucified at the cross and raised from the dead on the third day, that was meticulously planned by God to the minutest details. And those two events, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, they too were declared in prophecy. They didn't just happen. We can, we're not going to do it this morning, but we can find prophecies in the Old Testament, very clear prophecies of Jesus being crucified. One I give to you just off the top of my head in in Psalm 22. David speaking prophetically in Psalm 22. He says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. He said that a thousand years before Jesus came into the world. They pierced my hands and my feet. He ser- David was not speaking about himself. He was pointing us to the Saviour, Christ the Lord, who would come into the world a thousand years later. Again, planned by God in eternity, recorded in in prophecy in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the fullness of time. In fact... That is why the Son of God was manifested in the flesh, why he was born of a virgin in the first place for those two other events, his crucifixion and being raised triumphantly from the grave on the third day. As it is written in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou, that's Joseph, 
shall call his name Jesus. What's, what's with this Jesus anyway? Why Jesus? Well, we're told here, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves, the Lord saves. And he shall save his people from their sin. That is why he was to be given that name Jesus. Note that the Lord Jesus Christ did not come into the world to save anyone. You may have missed this. Verse 21 again. She shall bring forth the son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sin. Not everyone. That's the message you get, isn't it? But this is not what the Bible tells us. He shall save his people from their sin. And you would have to ask, well, who are his people? Who are his people? You need to ask that question. His people ultimately comes down to all who believe in him. All who believe in him, who believe he is the son of God, who believe that he was manifest in the flesh, who believe that he bare away their sins on a cross, who believe that he is risen from the dead, who believe that he is now highly exalted in heaven and who believe that he is coming again. It's all in the scriptures. We still have some unfulfilled prophecy. Jesus is coming again. How do I know that? Because my Bible tells me so. And I've got no reason to doubt that. All the other prophecies have been fulfilled. Why would I for one moment imagine that the coming again of Jesus Christ is not going to happen when my Bible tells me that it is? And it most certainly will happen. These things are to be believed. And it is so important. And I would be failing you if I just wished you a Merry Christmas and sent you on your way. There's so much going on in this world. So much misery. So much wickedness. But will you believe that the baby who was born in Bethlehem was conceived in the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Ghost, God the Holy Ghost. And that in that little baby dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He shall save his people from their sin. Is that his, you, are you included in that his, his people? Because not everyone is. And in fact, when you study the Bible, you realise more and more that his people is a tiny, tiny minority. Not most people, but a few. Jesus referred to his people as a tiny flock. And when he was on a cross, about 33 years after his birth, his virgin birth, yeah, there were people there. But most of them were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. His people never were, never will be a vast crowd of people. 
Those who truly believe in him. But what about you? What about you, dear people? Don't let this Christmas pass you by without you believing in the most important thing that you will ever, ever believe in. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved from your sins. Believe that the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was miraculously conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of a virgin, carried your sins away in his body at the cross and you will be saved. Amen.